You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning, church family. I hope that you were able to enjoy last week's um, lesson by Benny Baker. We uploaded that after the fact, obviously. This week we're back to... You could say our regularly scheduled programming. So here we are, and 2020 is nearing its close, and I'm excited about that. There's even a vaccine approval. So, I mean, things are maybe heading in the right direction. My hope is that soon the need to quarantine, the need to do this will be over. But we're not quite there yet. So we'll continue as well as we can, which has kind of been our approach to 2020 the whole time. And as Christmas looms, I thought this couple of weeks, over the next several weeks here in December, we could talk about, well, this idea of a Christmas scandal. Normally we think about Christmas and we think of all the beauty and the good stories and the warm, fuzzy feelings, and that's good. Uh, My wife sometimes accuses me of being a Grinch. Uh, I actually have more than one tie in my closet that depicts the Grinch story. It's actually my favorite story, which maybe says something about me being a Grinch. I don't know. Uh, I like Christmas. I think sometimes we overdo it. And when I voice that, sometimes I sound maybe a little bit Grinchy. But uh, the, the story actually... I love Dr. Seuss books, and I love how the Grinch stole Christmas, and especially the ending lines of you know, when the Grinch is realizing that even without the presence, the Who's done in Whoville are still going to celebrate, and they're singing. And he's trying to figure out you know, why, and he comes to the conclusion slowly that maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. I love that line. And actually, every year on Christmas Eve, whenever we gather around for the story, before the kids go off to bed, rather than read The Night Before Christmas, which is a popular choice, I read How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I've read it every Christmas Eve since Rosa was a baby. And I, I love the story and I love the conclusion of that maybe Christmas means a little bit more. Now, um, Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord, our King, our God, our Savior, was probably not born on December the 25th. There's a 1 in 365 chance that he was. Um, Actually, probably less than that, because he was probably born in the springtime. That's whenever shepherds would have been outside tending their flocks. Uh, that's when they would have slept on the hillsides with their flocks in there. That's where they encountered the angels. So it probably would have been a spring birth, but not for sure. We just don't know. And we're not told in Scripture to celebrate Jesus' birth. And it doesn't look like it was a holiday that they were celebrating in the time of the New Testament. And it came afterward a couple of hundred years after the, that first church before it really became a big deal. And then it got bigger and bigger and then smaller and then bigger again. And here we are in 
2020, and Christmas is a pretty big deal for our culture. And uh, I, my approach is this. One, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of us will celebrate Christmas in one form or another. We'll get together with our family, maybe put up a tree, uh, do some other things, have some, eat a turkey meal or some other kind of meal, uh, whatever is our Christmas traditions at our household and whatever at your household. The vast majority of people I know, probably not because they're Christian, but because they're American, celebrate Christmas. And here's my take on it. If the rest of the world around us for this season happens to be a little bit more inclined to the story of our Lord and Savior, they maybe have their ear turned a little bit more to us right now than maybe at other times. If they've got their ear a little bit more toward us, then I hope I'm yelling in it. I hope that I am <laughs> speaking to them the story of Jesus, which includes his birth, that wonderful, amazing story we're going to get into over the next three weeks, but maybe not like you have heard it before. But not just, of course, that story, but his whole life, and then his death, burial, and resurrection. And now his enthronement as king, and one day coming return. What we say in our worship services, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is risen, Jesus is coming. The story begins with his birth, but by no means is it the culmination. But if people want to hear about it, oh yeah, I'll tell them about the birth of Jesus, because two of the gospel accounts, both Matthew and Luke, saw it fit to tell me. So I see no reason why I shouldn't proclaim kind of the story of Jesus's birth, whenever people are maybe interested in hearing it. And that's what we're going to do. But again, I don't just want to tell the Christmas story as we want to hear it, uh, you know, or do it the way that we would normally perceive it, because that's the way we've always perceived it. I want to challenge us a little bit and not talk about the wonderful, harmonious, you know, joy-filled, perfect Christmas that maybe we all want or that the Hallmark movies show us. Rather, if we could call it the first Christmas, the birth of Jesus was a story of scandal, inherently scandalous. Let's look at the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. So these two verses in the Gospel of Matthew tell us a whole lot. And we can imagine in these moments that it was not necessarily a wonderful, joyous time for all parties involved. Now, there was some joy. As we're told in the Gospel of Luke, Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth, and she's filled with joy, and Elizabeth is filled with joy, and they're so happy for each other that they're going to have these children, that Elizabeth, her cousin, is going to be the mother of John the Baptist, while Mary, of course, is going to be the mother of Jesus. And it's a joyful moment whenever they come together and the baby leaps inside Elizabeth's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. So you know, there is that special 
amazing, you know, that kind of unquantifiable spirit about the whole thing that we celebrate, you know, with the spirit of Christmas. But it wasn't the only emotions going on. It, no doubt. I mean, here in Matthew, just this blunt opening of, you know, Jesus' birth is, it sounds bad. It would have sounded bad to any normal person hearing it, that while Joseph was engaged to Mary, and that engagement was more betrothal, it was not unlikely that they had been, this marriage had been arranged by their parents. And they were in that time where they knew that they were going to come together and be husband and wife, but not quite yet. And so this betrothal period was coming to a close, but before it did, this girl's pregnant. Now, to any sensible mind, we doesn't take too long to connect the dots to think, okay, something happened that's not acceptable. Something happened that's not approved of. Something happened that shouldn't have happened. And Joseph comes to that conclusion. He says, uh, you haven't been with me. I can't help but think you've been with somebody else. So here's something that Joseph probably understood that I would encourage any young person to understand or any person thinking about getting married to understand. If they're not faithful to you before you get married, that doesn't help the odds of them being faithful to you after you get married. Getting married doesn't change that. And so Joseph probably thought that. Ah, she's been unfaithful to me. Marriage is off. That's a normal reaction, an acceptable reaction. And here's the thing. It's not just that the marriage was off. Scripture uses the term divorce. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. Well, that's strange. We generally don't get divorced from people we haven't married yet. And here's the difference in their culture and ours. You see, the betrothal, again, very likely from the parents' agreement, not even Joseph and Mary's, although not necessarily, but often it was the parents deciding these things back then. And that betrothal was a legally binding agreement, just like a marriage. So for Mary's parents to tell Joseph's parents, all right, whenever she comes of age, and Mary was probably pretty young, uh, just a teenager at this point, whenever she had come of age, according to the culture of her day, and whenever she comes of age, we will give her to your son Joseph in marriage. And it was legally bound as such. And so in that moment, she became his woman, which is how they talked in ancient times about husband and wife. And so you know, before they became husband and wife, as we would classify it, she was already his woman because she was his woman to be the woman that they would get married, the woman that they would have a family with. Well, of course, the engagement is off, but because the betrothal was so set in stone, now 
He's got to put her away quietly, which is the wording for divorce. Divorce her quietly because, again, it's scandalous and it's dangerous. Remember John chapter 8? What happens to the woman caught in adultery? What they are talking about doing to the woman caught in adultery? It's a death sentence in that day and time. A death sentence according to the law of Moses. To, if a caught in adultery, you stone them. And that's why they drug the woman in John chapter 8 before Jesus. And so the fact that she can be proven to have committed adultery, because again, if Joseph hasn't done it, she's done it with someone else, and she didn't belong to someone else, she belonged to Joseph, so that is adultery, even though they technically haven't had the marriage ceremony yet. They're bound together, legally bound together. And so rather than stir up that big commotion and open that can of worms and maybe her face some pretty harsh, not just judgment, but even more severe punishment, Joseph is going to do it maybe as quietly as he can so as few people hear about it as they can. And he's just going to move on with his life. And so she can move on with hers and her babies. Joseph is a good man. We're told that. And this, everything's falling apart. So, so Mary, in one moment, goes from being a young girl full of hope about her future, and suddenly her future is coming crashing down around her through no fault of her own, mind you. But it seems like, you know, well... God, I'll do what you ask, but it doesn't make sense because now my life is suddenly turned upside down. But if that's the way you want it. And that's what we read in the Gospel of Luke. We're told in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel shows up and announces that she's going to have a baby. Well, she responds with quite a natural question. Verse 34, how can this be? How will this be since I have not been intimate with a man? She knew about the birds and the bees. And so how can I be pregnant? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And kind of as Matthew briefly told us, things start to be problematic here. And Mary, no doubt, anticipated some of those problems. As I'm going to have a baby. I'm not married. The husband I was going to get married to won't be too happy. I mean, these things would have been natural thoughts for her to have. And yet, what does she say? She said, yes, I am a servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me according to your word. Then the angel departed. She said, let it, let it be. If this is what God wants, let it be. What a great woman. And actually, she is saying something that Jesus himself says something very similar as he's in the garden. Under anxious circumstances, to be sure. 
He says, not my will, but yours be done. So a beautiful connection here of Jesus to his mother. His, his mother had the same spirit. His earthly mother, the woman who would give birth to him and raise him from a baby. That, okay, God, if you want it to be this way. And she no doubt had fears and anxieties and, and worry. And maybe it was heartbroken. There goes her chance with Joseph. Ah, oh. it's gut-wrenching, this story. We, we like Christmas to be a beautiful, wonderful story. And all those movies about Christmas to be happily ever after movies and wonderful movies about Santa Claus or you know, whatever the case. And that's good. I like some of those movies, too. But if we really want to talk about the birth of Jesus, it's uncomfortable. It's scandalous. And yet Mary listened to the words of Gabriel. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. As, as the angel is telling Mary about, you know, I've come to you, Mary, with good news. And she's a little bit scared because here's an angel talking to her. That'd be a scary situation. The angel says, Gabriel says, Mary, you don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And he tells you, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, oh, what, 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 having a baby? What? Mm, how? And the angel says, well, God's going to let you have a baby. You're going to have not just any baby, but a holy child. The very son of God is going to be in your room. And that's a pretty scary thought as well. I'm a guy, so I guess I don't have a whole lot of sympathy here or empathy. I don't necessarily know how she was feeling, but I can imagine it's kind of scary news. But the angel had told her, do not be afraid. She wasn't. She said, let it be. Let it be as God has said. Let his words come to fruition. I am his servant. What a beautiful, beautiful response. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we see an angel's interaction with Joseph. When he had contemplated this, putting her away quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord to the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but he did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. Happily ever after, right? I mean, here, and the story came to a wonderful conclusion. Yes, absolutely. But... I would hesitate to say happily ever after. It wouldn't take much for the local leaders down at their local synagogue. Said, when were you married? How old is that boy? 
And there were probably some whispers in the hall, which hardly ever amount to any good. Back then, now. They probably lived with that blemish. Again, not because they made a mistake, actually because they were righteous, because Mary was favored by God, because Joseph was a good man. And listen to the counsel of the angel. They both listened to the counsel of the angel. They had done exactly what God had desired them to do. And yet they still lived in scandal. Probably for quite a while. And so we'd ask the question, why? Why? Why would God work in such a way? I mean, the, the God that we associate with purity and peace and tranquility, why would he work in heartache and anxiety and scandal? Well, here's the thing. If we've read our Bible, if we know the story of how God has always worked, it shouldn't really surprise us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, we get the genealogy of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and on and on it goes. And as is the Jewish tradition, it's father, son, father, son, father, son, father, son. Four women show up in this genealogy. And not that... <laughs> The men were perfect by any means, far from it. We get some pretty questionable characters in the men's side too, but the four women that Matthew chooses to mention are four significant women in the history of Israel and also show again that God can work in scandal, that God often chooses to work, even though we're broken and we're fallen and we have our problems. That's when God really does his amazing good work. And the first one we see is Tamar. Chapter 1, verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Now, you got to go back to Genesis 38 to see the story of Judah and Tamar. And let me tell you, and you can pause the video right now and go read it if you're not familiar with it. It is not a nice story. It's an incredibly scandalous story. It's about broken promises. It's about prostitution, even borderline incest. It's the kind of stomach-curdling story that the Bible has quite a few of. And Tamar is a desperate woman. There's no question about that. We can say she didn't make the best choices, neither did Judah who's also involved in this story. And she is living the only way she knows how to live. Day to day, and her world has fallen apart. Her hope of a family is almost gone, and she does what she does because she's human. You know what a human does? Ends up being the ancestor of Jesus. God uses Tamar to bring about his promises. 
Then we get Rahab. Down in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab's story is in Joshua chapter 6. And while Tamar had a one-off episode where she engaged in what you could say was prostitution, Rahab, it looks like that's her full-time job. And different people look at Rahab different ways. Some would say, well, that worked to just be an innkeeper. And that's true, but also inns in a town, and especially a pagan town, would have been the place she would have gone to find women of the night. So that would just potentially make her a madame who oversaw a house of ill repute. However you look at it, it's problematic. And we, we might want to gloss over some of it a little bit, but she was a human being. And as it's been said, it's a very old occupation, the one she was engaged with. And some ways normal, some ways still scandalous, absolutely. But what did God do? God used her faithfulness, which she was not devoid of, not in the least. And he brought about his promises, both in the immediate context of saving the spies there and allowing Israel to you know, conquer Jericho, but also on down the line to, again, be another ancestor of Jesus. Then we see Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Now, Ruth, we could say she is a gleaming example of, you know, someone not scandalous at all. And, and while I would say virtuous, yes, and she's called that a virtuous woman, Boaz recognizes her with amazing qualities because she stood by her mother-in-law through thick and thin, yes. And maybe not even scandal, but heartache, absolutely. She had lost her husband, lost her brother-in-law, lost her father-in-law. Suddenly her mother-in-law and she and her sister-in-law are all just widows. And they're poor. They don't have anything to go off of. And her mother-in-law is going to head back home. And who says, not without me, you're not. Because I can at least take care of us a little bit. And so she lived as a beggar, doing a beggar's work, going into the field after the fields had already been harvested to pick up what little was left over. Boaz, a man of stature, a man of riches, a man of means, takes notice. Beautiful story. Um, not, however, normal and not without its problems. And that's okay. Because God doesn't just work in the perfectly crafted Hollywood story that we would maybe want to make a Christmas story into. He works in the life, very real life episodes of who we are and our heartaches and our successes. And then finally, we get to the last woman mentioned. And actually, even though we know her name is Bathsheba, she is simply referred to as the wife of Uriah. 
David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, having a child by the woman of another man, the wife of another man, uh, that's scandalous. And then you go back and you read 2 Samuel and you find out there's murder involved. He kills Uriah to cover up his sin of committing adultery with his wife Bathsheba. And now David the king is the one who initiates the sin and carries out the sin, and he's the one that pays for the sin. Bathsheba's role has long been discussed, but however we might look at it, whatever blame or innocence we would cast, and however, you know, we would take those elements of the story, one thing is she's human. A woman living in the culture of her day, bound to the expectations of that day, as in you're summoned by the king, you go. The king makes an advance and you acquiesce because he's the king. And whether she maybe should have stood up and done something different, yeah, sure, absolutely. She was a human. She found herself in a bad situation and didn't know how best to handle it. And the situation went from bad to worse. And the scandal blew the doors wide open. She becomes the mother of Solomon. She becomes the mother of the new king. Why? Because God uses broken, scandalous stories all the time. So here's the hope. Here's what I want you to take from this lesson. Celebrate Christmas, and I hope you have those warm, fuzzy, cozy feelings. I hope you have those amazing, wonderful family gatherings that go off without a hitch. Uh, I hope that everything falls into place. But it is 2020. <laughs> so odds are it maybe won't be perfect. That's okay. The first one wasn't perfect. The story we celebrate at Christmas time about the birth of Jesus wasn't perfect. Jesus' lineage and family and extended family wasn't perfect. The, the moment wasn't perfect, as we're going to get into again next week and the week after, as we see that he's a king born where peasants live. And he's God himself become man. That's scandalous too. And that's where we're headed. But God works in scandal. And even though our lives can have some rough patches in them, to put it mildly, whether it's a year like 2020 and it just happens, or maybe it's things in our past we're not proud of, I would say, well, Mary's situation is very different and very unique. The words of the angel that are carried over in lots of stories in the Bible still apply to my life, to your life, regardless of mistakes or problems or whatever. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God is doing something. And God wants to do something in you. Not because you're free of a 
bad past, but maybe precisely because you've had a rocky past, God wants to work with you and through you and in you to reveal his glory, just like he did in Mary. And it's not necessarily going to be easy. It's not going to be what you expect. But don't be afraid. It's God's at work.